If you'll join with me in our scripture reading, we'll be reading from John 10, 7 through 11. In our Pew Bibles, this is page 896. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. A lot of verses to go through today, but uh, we'll do our best. You'll notice that in verses 11 and 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I think a lot of times when people read this, we're thinking on a a more horizontal plane in terms of like a peer-to-peer relationship. And uh, Jesus is indeed a wonderful guide, a great teacher, coach, mentor, someone to look up to as as a really great person, but this is not the complete context as to what this chapter is speaking about. And of course, Jesus is all of those things on a horizontal plane. More importantly, Jesus is speaking of himself in a vertical plane. So let's first turn to Psalm 23. Let me read that Psalm for you. It's a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I bring this up because David wrote this psalm of the true shepherd, this vertical plane shepherd, and the people in Jesus' day understood this. They understood this context, which is why what happened in John chapter 10 was so offensive to these religious Jews. They knew what Jesus was getting at when he's speaking of himself as the good shepherd. He wasn't merely speaking of himself as a good shepherd in terms of a peer-to-peer level or even as a shepherd to sheep. And so this is why the Jews want to kill him. And this is the reason why there's a division among the Jews and the religious leaders wanting to kill him because Jesus is equating himself with God. Now David wasn't the first person to recognize the Lord as the shepherd or as his shepherd. This is a very, very well established belief to look upon the Lord as a good shepherd. You can look all the way back to Genesis 48 with Jacob. When Jacob blesses Joseph and Manasseh and Ephraim, let's take a look at that. Genesis chapter 48, verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from evil, blessed the boys and in them let my name be carried on and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
And throughout all of these Old Testament scriptures, there are many Genesis, Numbers, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, Zechariah. That's just in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. There are these numerous pictures of the Lord as the true, as the good shepherd. And so it's this really large context of the Old Testament that these people are listening to Jesus in his day. They're very familiar with this reference of good shepherd. And so this is what makes them so furious when Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. Because you might be reading this and we're like, why are these guys overreacting so much? He's just saying this and like, why do they want to kill him? Why do they want to stone him for this? This is the background. The background also is just a few chapters ago that we were talking about the Feast of Booths, right? Already, Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Feast of Booths, and he says this in John 7, starting in verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he's already identifying himself as the Christ, as the Messiah. I'm the living water. And so, like, that's strike one. And then it goes on, as Jesus is making himself this reference to water, that he's going to be the one to forever quench their spiritual thirst. That, you, you know, you guys don't have to any longer go down to that pool of Siloam and have the priest fetch the water, make this procession back up to the temple, go around the sacrificial altar and pour the water out, because I'm it. I'm it. And so that's really offensive to them. And then comes this next offense, this second strike. It happens in chapter 8. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Again, a reference to Messiah, a reference to the Christ. And he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, he's referencing himself as Messiah, that this light in the courtyard, they lit up these huge lamps in the courtyard in this night sky, and there they're celebrating, worshiping God, they're dancing, and, and this is to symbolize the leading of the Israelites to the promised land through this Feast of Tabernacles, this light leading them into the promised land. And so Jesus is making this reference of, I'm that light. I'm the one that leads you to the promised land. So here's this second strike. And when we get to chapter 10, this is the third strike. These guys are so upset, like, enough of this already. We heard you already. Yeah, living water. Yeah, light of life. Like, yeah, we, good shepherd. Like, stop it. Equating himself with God. Telling them he's God. And so this is what has all of these religious workers so worked up. Because they know the Old Testament scriptures. They know what he's referring to, and Jesus is declaring himself as the Savior. I, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. He's declaring himself to be king. They already know that he's been called son of David, and he's a descendant of David. And he's like pulling all these stops of saying like, this is me. He's crying out on the seventh day of the Feast of Booze and Feast of Tabernacles. He's doing all this stuff. And here Jesus is reinforcing this declaration that he is the Messiah. I am the Christ. And he's proclaiming, I'm the good shepherd. And they just can't take it anymore. Like, We've heard enough from you. We, we don't want to hear this from you anymore. They can't take all the references Jesus is pulling in about himself. And their problem is they can't disprove it. 
He's claiming all these things and they can't disprove it. Everything that Jesus has said is true and they can't prove him wrong. And they are trying their hardest to do that. How? They've done everything that they can to shut Jesus up. Remember they had those Sabbath reinforcers out there and saying like, hey, he broke the Sabbath. Let's look at the rule and he's a Sabbath breaker. They're trying to look for the smallest thing so they can accuse him of being a sinner, you know, breaking Sabbath, of being demon possessed. They've tried every accusation to disprove Jesus, but they have nothing. And so all they can say is, let's just kill him. Let's just kill him. Let's start reading at verse 22, and you'll get this feeling of what they want to do. We'll circle back to the first verses, but let's just take a look at this second half. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. They've wanted to stone Jesus on multiple occasions. They want Jesus dead, even though Jesus told them he is the Christ, right? Verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. And Jesus told them he's the good shepherd. Verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And Jesus told them, verse 30, I and the father are one. He told them, I am the son of God, verse 36. He told them, verse 38, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. He can't be any more clear. He's told them all of these things, but they don't listen. Why? Because Jesus isn't their shepherd. They can't hear. They aren't his sheep. Jesus is saying that he is the Lord himself, but they aren't able to see or hear it because they don't belong to the Lord. Now, chapter 10 belongs with this very popular phrase, truly, truly, meaning this is critical for us to understand this. This is how they make this emphasis, and this is the way the ancient writers 
kind of change their fonts. You know, when we make something important, we want to italicize it or we make it bold or we underline it or we highlight it or whatever. And so the way that they do it is they put this phrase, truly, truly. So chapter 10 is this absolute essential for us to understand. And what we have to understand is this. Jesus is the good shepherd. So let's go back to verse 1 and we'll start reading from there. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And so here we hear Jesus speaking of himself as the good shepherd. And this is Jesus comparing himself to others who are not good shepherds. Those who have come before him who were thieves and robbers. And so Jesus is the one true, the one good shepherd. The spiritual leaders before couldn't provide what Jesus provides. They can point to what Jesus provides, but they can't provide it themselves. And the big problem is that the religious leaders in that day aren't pointing the people to Jesus. They're not pointing them to the door that leads to salvation, to pasture. People who are not pointing others to Jesus are pointing them to death, to destruction. Jesus' sheep will hear his voice. They will listen and move toward the good shepherd, and he knows his sheep. This is one of the most important things for a follower of Jesus to know. When you think no one else knows you, when you think no one else understands you or you don't feel understood, to be able to turn to Jesus, the good shepherd, knowing that you are known by him, that you are understood by him. That Jesus doesn't just understand and know you, he calls you by name, that you are known personally. And you know Jesus personally because you recognize his voice. You recognize the voice of the one who saved you and who can lead you to green pastures. Verse 10 reads, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus comes to bless you. 
that his word, his voice, it blesses and he personally addresses us by name. This word, his voice, is for you. It's not one of condemnation. It is for you. If you do not hear his voice, if you don't hear his word, it's probable that you are not one of his sheep. If God's word is just kind of floating in your mind like anyone else's words, if this is just like any other lecture or oratory presentation that happens at school or work or wherever else, maybe he's not your shepherd. These are just words like any other words that you hear or that you read, then maybe you're not one of his sheep. See, hearing the voice of Jesus is not a natural phenomenon. So if you're listening for something audible, that's a natural thing, right? And this is supernatural. It is from beyond the natural, that it's not my voice. It's not the words on a page of a Bible in the pew. My voice is natural. Those printed words are natural things. And I have no idea what is going on in your mind or your conscience or your soul, but Jesus does. And that's supernatural. It's that voice calling out to you to follow him, to give your life to him, and then he will give you life in abundance. And this is what happened to Samuel when when the Lord called him in 1 Samuel 3. Samuel heard this voice of the Lord and he thought it was Eli calling him. And so he goes up to Eli and says, you called? And he's like, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And so this happens two more times until Eli realizes, you know what? It's the Lord that's calling Samuel. So Eli instructs this young Samuel, you know, the next time you hear this, just say to the Lord, speak for your servant hears. This is the best thing we can do for our children or for those under our care or for those who are, we're kind of mentoring in a relationship with the Lord. When they hear something, to direct them to seek the Lord. Dad, I'm thinking about going on the mission field. My first fleshly, worldly instinct toward my daughter in my mind was go finish college first. That's how worldly I am. That's how fleshly I am. It was nothing spiritual. You would think like I'd be super excited. Like, yeah, go do it. Like, that's awesome. And maybe that's what the Lord wants or maybe that's just her adolescent angst or whatever, wanting to get out of the house. I have no idea what it knows, but the Lord knows. And I need to direct her to seek the Lord. It's not my call. And so, honey, go pray about it. I had to like hold my tongue and not say the college thing. And like, God will direct your path. Just pray about it. You know, in my early 20s, the Lord would wake me up before three in the morning. It was a really, really strange thing. I'd be woken up for quite a while and I'd be wide awake and I'd pray. I'd study his word. And it happened quite miraculously and supernaturally right after I reconciled with my dad, who I was estranged from for several years. I bring up this story because it's Thanksgiving holidays and it's kind of this weird time of like with family. It's a weird time, right? 
At first, I thought my dad was waking me up, and my dad was on the verge of homelessness when he called me out of the blue to reach out to me to move in with him because um, he, he wasn't making it financially. And so I, I was living on my own with some roommates, and I haven't spoken with him in, in years. And the odd thing was, is I was still a churchgoer. I was still thinking I was faithfully following God and everything, but I wasn't honoring my dad. I was fooling myself. I got so callous to it that it was years that it didn't even bother me anymore. I didn't even have this thought that I wasn't reconciled with my dad, that I wasn't honoring my father. I was so callous. My heart was so hardened. And then I had a, a mentor of mine. He, he was a uh, Old Testament theology professor of mine, and he kind of coached me through this whole thing and discipled me through it, and we studied through it and prayed through it, and he always directed me to first pray. So when I told him what happened, he was like, go pray. He didn't even offer me any words, and it was very frustrating because I just wanted him to tell me, like, what do I do? And he'd just direct me to pray. So I end up moving in with my dad, and he's on the top bunk, and I'm on the bottom bunk. We're in this one bedroom. It was the original bed that I grew up in, like when I was a kid. This was my bed. And my dad was even still using my original Star Wars sheets. Like it was, it was so awesome. I was like, no way, like these are still here. But it wasn't me that was so special. It wasn't my dad. It was the good shepherd who led my dad to call me, who so prideful, he would have never done that. And me, that I was so hardened that I didn't even think about him anymore. And he just kind of was like, I need to lead these kids into green pastures. These guys are fools. And so he'd wake me up wide awake, three in the morning, and I'd study and I'd pray for a few hours before my wonderful L.A. commute of an hour and a half one way because where I moved was further from where I used to live. So I'm in traffic, hour and a half. There, hour and a half, back. So what do I do? I, I listen to sermon on cassette tapes. Do any of you remember these? Cassette tapes. And so the radio one on my tape deck in my car didn't have a dub, and I listened to this pastor who I really respected and honored, and, and I went to their Bible college in Calvary Chapel. His name's Pastor Chuck Smith. I've listened to every single sermon that Pastor Chuck has preached, and he's preached like thousands, I think. I had boxes of tapes, I think, since my wife has thrown them all away. But they're in the garage, they're like boxes of tapes. And I listened to everyone, and I bought a portable tape deck so that I can dub it faster because he spoke so slow. He was like, good morning. I was like, oh, dude, like 10 times faster than be like, good morning, you know? And so I, I dub it. So I bought this tape there, and I, and I dub it as fast as it could, and it'd be like a regular speed. So I could listen to like six, eight sermons a day on my commute. So I'd just play it. I'd be taking it in on my commute. Um, Jesus gives life abundantly, his word, his voice. And God changed me because I hated my dad. I mean, I didn't even think about him anymore. And he changed my dad because he humbled him to even reach out to me to be able to move back in with him. And there was no way I was going to forgive him. In my heart of hearts, that's what I thought. There's no way. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And it was only through the Lord who gives life, and he gives it abundantly. And he spoke to me about forgiveness and love for my dad to start 
spending time with him and to start having dinner with him after work because in my early 20s, all I did was I just worked. I worked my tail off. That's all I wanted to do because my parents lost everything. They went bankrupt. They went into foreclosure. And in my mind, all I thought was, I'm going to take care of my mom and I'm going to take care of my sister. That's all I want to do. I just worked my tail off. That's all I did. And I'd go home to sleep. But every other time, I was just in the office working. But then when the Lord spoke to me about my dad, he started directing me to go home and have dinner with him. And I was like, this is nuts. Like, I don't want to. How am I going to make money? And what am I going to do? And so then we got to know each other. And then we started traveling together and eating together. And we used to do all these things. And we used to go to China separately. I remember the, the first time I went to China was 10 years old. And I never went to China with him ever again. I just went on my own. And the way that I kind of creatively did that was in college, like I, I did these mission trips and I did these mission trips to Asia and I'd always try to have a spot where can I have a transfer in Hong Kong then I could go see my granny and my grandfather, you know. And so I'd plan these things. I'm going to do a, a mission trip to Thailand and I'm going to stop in Hong Kong. And so that's how I'd do that. And then as I got older, I could pay my own way. But I never went with my dad. It was always separate because like I didn't like the guy. So why, why go with him? Well, when we reconciled, my grandmother was passing away. And so we were able to go together. And she's on her deathbed, and we got to share the gospel with her for the last time, and she accepted the Lord on her deathbed. And, and we got to experience that together as a father and son. He gives life abundantly. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Verse 3. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That he is the true shepherd. He's the good shepherd. That his word is alive. That he speaks, and his sheep hear his voice. That's what Jesus said. He said he's the good shepherd. He said that twice in chapter 10. He speaks of his sacrifice three times in this chapter. So this is a very important thing. Verses 11, 15, and 17. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. In the Hebrew way of thinking, when something is said twice, it's really important. When something is said three times, this is absolutely critical. You have to get this. And so Jesus spoke about his death on the cross in chapter 10 three times, and then he's doing this voluntarily. So verse 18, is, he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And this is exactly what happened. Because if you fast forward to John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus said this, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He did it. No one took his life he did it. He laid his life down on his own accord. He gave up his life as a sacrifice, a sacrifice for others, as prophesied in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Who's the one that laid all of our iniquities upon Jesus? It's the Lord. God did it. Verse 6, the Lord did it. Or you look at Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. This is what the prophet said there. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. That's the Trinitarian, God, the man next to me. That God did it. And you might be thinking like, what? How can God do such a terrible thing? Where's his love? You look back to chapter 10, verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. That it's actually done all out of love. Jesus' death on the cross was a loving obedience to God the Father. Take a look at Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That God the Father placed the judgment and wrath for the sins of the world upon Jesus. And at the same time, he was filled with love for what Jesus did for the world. That obedience was so deep so that he can save his sheep. And on the cross, Jesus bore our sins. And it's the fullest expression of love Jesus has in obedience to God and in sacrifice for us. Now look at verses 15 and 16. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Who are these other sheep that are not of this fold? Us, Gentiles. This is what kind of has these Jews upset also. If you kind of fast forward in Paul in the Acts and, and what he's sharing with, with those religious leaders back then, this is why the, he was going to be flogged by the Romans. It's because he was saying he has to go to the Gentiles, and they get really upset at this. What? And they want to kill him. See, we've been called out of the same fold under one flock, one shepherd. Here's a question that you need to ask yourself. If Jesus didn't die, would that make any difference for you in your life, in your spiritual life, in your actual life? Would that make any difference for you if Jesus doesn't die? Morality, how you live, whatever. Because if it doesn't, then you're probably not one of his sheep. You don't understand the sacrifice. You don't understand. You, you don't hear what's happening. 
Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The only people who are saved are his sheep. The only ones who are his sheep are those who hear his voice and they are obedient to it. That if you are one of his sheep, you hear his voice and you follow him. And following for Jesus is asking for trouble. It is not easy. I mean, any one of you out there who are his sheep, has your life been conflict-free? I just want to meet one. I just want to meet one unicorn. Like, like, it's not, right? And any of you sheep experience problems that you didn't even know could exist for you, that were even possible for you to even experience. Have you, any of you experienced that? I've experienced problems that I had no clue that I would experience. If you were to ask me five years ago that I was going to have to deal with the pain of a suicidal daughter, I would have had no clue to tell you about that. None. If you were to tell me about me and my relationship with my dad 30 years ago, I would have no clue that we would have had to go through that junk. That's how he works, isn't it? It's all that junk. And through all the junk, here are these awesome promises. Verse 28, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you have that sense of security? No matter what he's going to throw your way, I'm okay. I'm in his hand. I'm in the Father's hand. They're one. Nothing can happen to me. That no matter what type of trial comes my way, no type of tribulation that comes my way, I'm in his hand. You might be experiencing difficulty now and you might be wondering about, I don't even know if I can hold on anymore. I don't know about my faith. I don't know if I can do this anymore. You're thinking the wrong way. You have to remember this, that he is holding on to you, not that you're holding on to him. You're in his hand. No one can snatch you out of it. That darkness you experience, he pierces the darkness. He brings light into the darkness. Those dry places, he waters it. He rehydrates it. Those places where you feel lost, that you don't know where the still water is. You don't know where the green pasture is. He's the good shepherd to lead you out of it. But do you recognize his voice? Do you recognize him as shepherd? Because if you don't, the promise is not for you. It's for his sheep. It is his sheep that won't get snatched out of his hand. And if you are not his sheep, you can be. How do you know any of this will last? That you have the strength. Again, it's not about you. It's this supernatural thing that God does. That when you are in his hand, that no one can snatch you out of his hand. And that's the promise, that he's the good shepherd. He gave his life for you, and he will stop at nothing to bring you to glory. 
Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That when you're in his hand, you will lack nothing. You will have everything in abundance. I want to pray for anyone who has not heard from the Lord yet, and maybe you don't even know if you are one of his sheep. And it doesn't have to be some like supernatural thing that you experience in your mind. Like, I don't have a huge conversion experience. It's not about that. It's not about this experience. It's about a spiritual thing that has happened in you where you can recognize his voice, that you hear his voice. Not necessarily audibly, but that you can hear it. Or maybe you've experienced a dream, or maybe you've experienced something else in terms of how he's communicating with you in terms of, that's my God, and I have no other choice. Where else can I go? I want to pray for you. I'm going to just be in the front uh, when the worship team comes back up, and I'd be more than happy to pray for you in regards to receiving Jesus or anything else that you would like prayer for in your life. I'll just be in the front pew there, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that every single person listening to this in this sanctuary or online, that they hear your voice. Not mine as I was teaching and preaching or not even the things that they're necessarily reading just as text, but that they indeed hear your supernatural voice, that you're the good shepherd and that they follow you in obedience. Lord, you're so patient with us and it's no accident that people are here or that they're listening online. I pray, Lord, that something awesome happens with these people knowing that we will never be snatched from your hand. And I especially pray, Lord, for those who do not know you, that they would open themselves up to be able to hear you and that you would call them by name to receive your salvation in jesus name amen we'll take communion together now so if you don't have these elements just raise your hand and we can get that over to you this voluntary sacrifice that jesus made on the cross bearing our sins this wafer symbolizing the broken body of christ for us and the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Jesus shed for us. We take this in celebration. We take this in commemoration. We take this in obedience until his return. And I strongly encourage, suggest that you work things out with those you have issues with before taking these elements, that if there's someone to reconcile with, that you would go do that before taking this. In Jesus' name. Let's take the fruit of the vine together. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for this consistent, regular reminder that you have for us. We do this every week, and we pray, Lord, that this helps us continue to be in alignment throughout the week. And we pray, Lord, that this isn't just some flippant sacrament that we do, that this meaningful symbol that you've left for us to do until your return. 
that we eagerly await for in Jesus' name. Amen.